Green Left Weekly Radio. There's one newspaper that is independent of powerful capitalist interests, and that is Green Left Weekly. It's the people's voice committed to human and civil rights, ecological sustainability, democracy and equality. It presents ideas that the mainstream media won't. Green Left is a leading source of local, national and international news with analysis, discussion and debate to strengthen the anti-capitalist movement. It helps expose the lies of the capitalist press and puts the voices of the marginalised and the oppressed at the centre of fighting for a better world and helps us understand the political developments unfolding around us. Good morning, everyone. Um, you are listening to Green Left Radio. Um, and on the line today, we have myself, Jacob, and Zane. Hello, hello. Yeah, um, I'd like to acknowledge um, that FreeCR today is being broadcast to you from the Wandry land of the Kulin Nation. Um, I'd like to pay our respect um, to elders past and present, and that this always was, always will be Aboriginal land. Alright, um, so I guess in terms of um, the program that we've got lined up, um, we're going to be having two guests um, speaking. Um, we're going to be t- um, speaking to our regular guest, um, Sue Bolton, who's a social science counsellor for Moreland, about, um, who has also been one of the initiators of a broad-based sort of climate group, and we're going to sort of be having a bit of a political discussion about the need for a united climate movement that's happening from 7.15am, and then from 8.10am we're going to have um, uh, the famous world com- um, Australian comedian Tom Tunicki, um, who'll be speaking us to us about, I'm not actually sure what the issue is, Zane probably knows a bit more about it. Uh, we're talking about Hosier Lane, there's a bunch of... Scandalous vandals came in the other day with fire extinguishers full of paint and they painted over all of the beautiful street art. It was a great tragedy. Um, looks terrible. I'm sure that there's not going to be any, any real beautiful street art to go over it and it's just going to be a, a weird rainbow of paint forever. And yep. Tom was very distressed by this mm. and uh, there was a video of, of Tom on uh, uh, one of the Fairfax papers website and he was having a big cry about what they'd done to the beautiful street art in Hosier Lane and what a tragedy it was so yep. yeah we'll, we'll talk to Tom about that oh, yep. we can all grieve together yeah <laughs> and um, th- the other thing that's happening on FreeCR today um, is it's actually currently from um, the t- um, the 10th to the 16th of February um, which is within this week um, FreeCR is currently going on a subscribe um, subscription drive um, and basically they're kind of asking um, all programs to sort of um, promote um, um, that to all our listeners that if you're not already a subscriber to FreeCR that you should consider becoming one uh, t- um, today or tomorrow or maybe the next day or maybe on Monday um, and Basically, um, it costs as low as like $35 if you're on concessions, $75 wage or $150 um, solidarity. And subscribers really are kind of like the backbone of um, FreeCR. It's what kind of keeps FreeCR kind of on the air. Um, And, you know, you like to consider that, you know, FreeCR is the only place where you can get progressive kind of viewpoints and coverage on current issues, especially this program. We tend to um, put forward a kind of 
left-wing kind of uh, um, radical kind of left-wing perspective that you won't get anywhere else. So, yeah. Can I? Right. Please do subscribe. It's like being a member of a union, except it's a community radio station. Yeah. Giving voice to all left-wing and progressive voices and struggles. So, be financial, be paid up. What else is new? Well, the main thing I want to talk about is has been about the kind of impacts of the racism um, around the coronavirus. And um, this is just reading from an article in Green Left, um, which is coming up in the upcoming issue, written by Chris Lee and Yaji Spencer. (laughs) And basically... Um, there's growing concern um, that the university sector is not following best practice in dealing with the outbreak of the new coronavirus and is instead joining in the racist hysteria. <clears throat> and essentially, um, the University of Sydney Vice-Chancellor Michael Spence has confirmed um, Chinese students affected by the federal government's travel ban that they may have until March 30th to join classes. Uh, the university has also requested students arriving back from mainland China undertake a f- unnecessary 14-day self-isolation period. And then ABC reported on February the 4th that 100,000 students will not be able to start their university or TAFE classes because of the travel ban, which applies to anyone um, travelling from China to Australia, with the exception of Australian citizens, permanent residents or airline crews. Um, the government has also begin to, um, begun to lock up to 600 citizen, Australian citizens in the poorly equi- equipped um, Christmas Island Detention Centre as part of its extreme response to a virus less ruined than SARS. University of Sydney said it was following the government's recommendations rather than the World um, Health Organization's advice that states effectiveness of entry screening is uncertain and global trade and travel bans are not needed. And, of course... There's also, in response to the kind of this kind of racism, there is some media outlets are starting to call out the kind of government. Um, and um, there was also protests organised by um, by students in the National Territory of Education in the, in both Sydney and Melbourne on February the seventh. And according to Honey Salt, Faye Johns told the Sydney Rally. International students are, are students and deserve at least equal care. She said government-led racism was designed to create racialized panic and fear, and the recent events were reminded that the yellow pearl rhetoric of the 1990s has not gone away. NTU Victorian Secretary Mel Slee told the Melbourne Rally um, that Prime Minister Scott Morrison was using racism to revive his political fortunes, which had sunk over the mishandling of the bushfire crisis. The NTU has launched a campaign to affirm um, that Chinese students are welcome, while racists are not. Um, and I think the other um, the other kind of aspect of this um, is um, there has been some weird and strange reports um, that Chinese restaurants are reporting um, 80% less business um, than they will usually have. And, you know, usually, I, you know, it's not my, me to sort of stand up for, for business or whatever, but I think this is a terrible kind of impact of racism. And in fact, already one restaurant has already closed down due to the lack of business. And I think it just, you know, this idea, um, this 
fear around the coronavirus, I think, is a bit ridiculous, um, especially since why would... What are the chances that you're likely to get it from a Chinese restaurant that is based in Australia and there's already pretty, a travel ban? Pretty much request. as close to zero as you could get. Like, it would basically be an act of God for you to somehow get coronavirus from an Australian Chinese restaurant that, that has literally no connection to anyone in Wuhan. Mm. And also the fact is, there's a travel ban in place, so there's no there's no possible scenario where um, a Chinese person um, who owns this restaurant might have come back from a recent trip um, to China, because actually at this point it's actually impossible. Mm. <laughs> um, and in fact, mm. um, I have a, a one of my friends um, who, whose partner is Chinese. Um, she's actually, by virtue of being a Chinese citizen she's not even allowed to leave the country or she wasn't allowed to at least um enter singapore of all places mm. um in fact that's how far this kind of travel ban and paranoia so the chinese been. government is preventing citizens from leaving yes yeah right um because if they go to singapore they might go to china and vice versa so <laughs> Yeah, a couple of other racist uh, responses. Um, There's a story going around about a Malaysian student from Perth who got back from a holiday and was getting ready to go back to uni and was evicted due to coronavirus. Someone's just illegally posted a uh, a message on the the front door saying, "Uh, you're evicted (laughs) because of coronavirus. Like, just completely unscientific... Lunacy, and well, besides the point, the virus doesn't come from Malaysia. Malaysia. (laughs) Um, So, and even then, even with the logic, um, I the the World Health Organization, although I think they might have changed their position recently, like as in recently as in the past twenty four hours or the past forty eight hours. But, you know, there is some, there is arguments being put forward by experts that saying these travel bans don't work. Um, and in fact, uh, medical facilities, um, should be more than equipped to quarantine people, um, to prevent, you know, the further spread hmm. of, of these, of, of the virus. Yeah, it's a virus. It's not like, it's not like international, intercontinental ballistic missiles coming out of people's mouths every time they cough or sneeze. Like, it's it's a virus. So if you can be within, you know, if your neighbour has a virus, do you automatically get that virus off them? Typically not, because unless you're in quite close quarters with that person, you're not going to catch something that's carried in bodily fluid and it's the same with coronavirus. There's no need to put people on Christmas Island or in faraway things. There can be quarantine facilities on the mainland. And I don't know, some of the coverage I've seen, it seeks to minimise or downplay the seriousness of coronavirus. I think 2% is a pretty high fatality rate. Mm. And it's pretty it's pretty virulent. I, th- I think it's not necessary to try and downplay the seriousness of the virus, but... That doesn't mean that people need to be sent to offshore concentration camps to try and deal with it. And Christmas Island is not that big. So if 
if coronavirus was to come to Australia and, and was to spread a bit, like we're, we're probably inevitably going to need to develop larger quarantine facilities than are possible to be crammed onto Christmas Island. So just put people in a comfortable bloody house and let them stay there for two weeks and find out whether they've got the virus or not. We, mm. It's... Yeah, it's, it's it totally just, uh, it, I think it also shows the inadequacy of um, the capitalist system to respond, um, yet to respond to such crises when they happen, especially the question of a virus outbreak. And then we also have to consider when this happens in, let's say, a global south country, they are far less equipped to deal with it. And in fact, it's actually probably not even it's prominently reported in the media as when it comes from a country like, say, China, because on one hand, China is a much richer country um, than global south. And also, but the, also the second thing, and this is where the racism comes in, China is also a country that is seen as like, you know, a kind of threat to the Western powers, etc. So they, so any sort of Western power would try to use this as an opportunity to whip out sort of suspicion towards China. Hmm. Yes, and one of the other uh, sort of plugging into that red peril, yellow peril sort of racism, uh, Sunrise program, they released a picture, and it's basically a picture of all of the world's flight paths, all of the places where jets fly. And so if you draw a series of little lines between every air, every major international airport on the entire planet and a lot of domestic airports, you come up with this map. And the thickest lines are over Europe and the USA because that's where there's the most sort of density of people flying planes around. Sunrise have taken this generic image of the world's flight paths and gone, oh, exclusive, we found this map which shows where 60,000 people fled from Wuhan to try and get away from the virus and they might be carrying it. And it's literally just a a copied map of the world's flight paths. Mm. Yeah. So, once again, Sunrise being racist trash and stirring up racism. Mm. How surprising. Trey surprising. All right, we are going to play a couple of announcements and then we're going to get Sue Bolton on the blower. 3CR broadcasters present over 100 radio programs every week, including a diverse range of community language shows. Come to the Tricia Community Radio. Please subscribe now. Just come on to Tricia Community Radio. Araja Al Ishtrakal An. Ningal Ungalin Samuhavanali, Tricia Ray, Kurt Kondir Kandir Kal. Rindri Nayingal. Están escuchando Radio Comunitaria 3CR. Suscríbete ahora. Metsuketsek Radio I Gayaranin, Boratang Gudam Elbumi Hai Kaotin. Hima Artanakrevetsek Iper Tricia Ray Antam. Support the station that gives your community a voice. Subscribe to 3CR. Okay, so this is Sheba. You make that. 
And so is this. And this. Shebop, a program that explores feminist issues. Tune in Mondays, 10.30am, for a show where only women get to speak, but everyone can listen. Alrighty, welcome back. You're listening to Green Left Radio on 3CR, and on the line we have Moreland Councillor Sue Bolton. Welcome, Sue. Yeah, good morning, Hi, Sue. Hi, how's it going? Hi, right, so Sue, I guess um, one of the reasons um, we had you um, um, on the line is um, that you're one of the initiators of um, the recent sort of broad-based sort of um, climate group, um, Climate Justice Alliance Melbourne, um, which is organising a big National Day of Action on February the 22nd. Um, I kind of want to see, like, from your kind of political, here from your political perspective on kind of why you kind of initiated this alliance and coalition. Well, I was uh, mostly motivated by the um, bushfire crisis when I had discussions with several people, sort of working class people, who uh, certainly not, uh, they recognise that climate change is a thing, but they're not, they didn't feel at all confident about asserting that to anyone who's a climate denier in their workplace or social group or family and were asking me did I think the bushfires were caused by climate change or lack of burning off, lack of hazard reduction. And people weren't trying to ask me trick questions or or um, take the mickey out of me. They were just genuinely interested in my opinion as to whether I thought the bushfires were caused by climate change or not. And obviously it also meant that people were listening to this Morrison argument about um, you know, too many environmental laws that are stopping hazard reduction. And so people were sort of just wanting to know. And I was sort of feeling like the climate movement isn't necessarily connecting with a whole bunch of people who are sympathetic to the arguments about the need for climate action, but they're not confident enough to to basically state that very confidently to people. And in reality, we need those people involved in the climate movement or more confidently able to say that climate change is the issue in order to force action on the big corporations and and the government. Because while there is a section of the population that sort of sort of half thinks climate change is the issue but not totally confident about that, then the Morrison government, or even if the ALP came into power, they would be able to get away with tokenistic measures or not taking measures or whatever. Um, we, need, we need the power of the people because we know that the politicians aren't going to act. They haven't act, acted for 20, 30, 40 years, however long we've known about climate change. So that's why I was sort of feeling like in the climate movement it's quite divided really and it's very dominated by you know uh, climate NGOs you know who do you know certain good things I'm not saying they don't but it means that because they're NGOs they tend to do just branded actions by themselves they're not thinking about building a broad movement and so what we're seeing is 
and even some of the more activist kind of groups are all organising just their own branded actions by themselves without trying to build a broad climate movement where everyone's working together and we're trying to show the power of everyone working together and calling out the largest possible actions around climate change. So that's really where we came from. And I actually think, you know, what we've done so far, I mean, we've only been going since the end of January, um, is that actually we've got a whole bunch of unions on board for this big climate crisis uh, protest that's going to be happening not this weekend but the following weekend. So I actually, and we have got some groups working together and I think for some of the small climate groups, it also gives people a bit of a focus, um, you know, beyond their suburbs, uh, something that they can work with others around. And what um, what can you tell us about, um, I guess, your position on what, why is it um, why is a united kind of front of um, different sort of political groups and um, climate groups working together something that's necessary in terms of this today's kind of political climate? Well, I think unless that can happen, we're not going to be able to build a sufficiently strong movement to challenge to challenge the government and challenge the corporations, um, we'll only be mobilising a small part of of that movement, and we won't be yeah sufficiently putting the you know the ruling the ruling class the coal barons on notice. Um, you know there have been stop Adani campaigns and this and that campaign, but it really wasn't until the stu- school students came out onto the street that. Uh, you know, at the end of 2018, that there were mass protests again. And unfortunately, the climate movement, as it's dominated by NGOs, had actually gone off the street. And then the last couple of mobilisations before that had been years before. So before the school strike for climate, I think, there might have been a protest in you know, about three or four years before that. But really, that's not good enough when we've got this massive climate crisis. And probably I would say one weakness of the Stop Adani campaign, while, you know, people have done a lot of great work in that campaign, is it hasn't really been an on-the-streets campaign. And, you know, I think if it had been, it would have, you know, answered a lot more Questions and we battered a lot more of the arguments that the right wing puts forward about why they need to keep, you know, have this mind, um, which we obviously don't need. And I just think, you know, you're not going to have sufficient power unless you have that broad alliance. And I think one of the things is that you've also got to go beyond just mobilising people who you know, have a strong understanding of the science. Obviously, it is good to have an understanding of the science. But for us to be able to win this, we have to win ordinary, everyday, working-class people who may not be scientists. And, you know, my observation of the whole climate debate from years ago is that there was a massive support for climate action. This was in the mid-2000s. Massive support for climate action. Then suddenly all these climate denier scientists were put on in the media 
put out in the media. So then you sort of saw a bit of a retreat by working class people from the movement because a lot of people are not scientists and thought, oh, they're scientists and they say climate change isn't happening and they're scientists and they say climate change is happening. And so it wasn't necessarily that people had been one to the climate denier viewpoint, but they weren't confident to say they just retreated from the movement, retreated from um, asserting clearly that climate change is an issue and something needs to happen about it. Mm. And so we have to win those people to the movement. So we can't just be focused on the educated middle class, otherwise we're going to lose. Um, Sue, do you reckon just, just just drilling down a little bit further into this and then drilling sideways and then hydraulically fracturing the subject a little bit and stimulating it, um, do you reckon there's parallels between the way that NGOs have tended to maybe turn the tap on and then off again with having big protests but there's not this organic kind of ongoing movement? Do you reckon there's parallels with that around climate actions from NGOs with some of the big union rallies? And how do we... uh, It strikes me that there's a lot of appetite right now for ongoing action around climate, but how do you start to build up that sort of ongoing grassroots mobilising capacity so that it's kind of... It's not just in the hands of some particular organisation to, you know, press a button, make a rally happen and then it's done. Well, I guess we're sort of... That's what we're trying to do. So in terms of this alliance, um, individuals are welcome, not just organisations. And I think there is a view... We haven't necessarily totally decided this yet, but that this Climate Justice Alliance keep going after the 22nd of February. And... um, you know, I think we'll definitely be supporting the next two actions organised by some of the groups that are participating in the alliance. So that would be the uni student strike on in March, the Extinction Rebellion Autumn Rebellion in May, and the School Strikes Climate in on the May the 15th. Um, so we'll be supporting those actions following on from our rally on the 22nd. But I think we want to do something else following on from that, possibly around World Environment Day. We haven't decided exactly what yet, what yet. Um, but I think we need to make sure that this is not a one rally wonder and that we develop this ongoing collaboration. And, you know, some of the NGOs need to be involved in that as well, but they also need to be the activist groups and I think one of the reasons why Extinction Rebellion has grown so much is because it is promising activism and there aren't really many other climate groups that are promising that Um, although there are lots of little suburban climate groups that are doing things in their suburbs and local areas and I think it's only through that ongoing activity that you can, um, you know, avoid that turn-on, turn-off um, effect with mass protest. And probably I would say the climate movement, I sort of roughly remember when, I think it might have been around the 2008-9 period, when a lot of the groups 
in the climate movement in Victoria anyway decided that mass rallies were not important anymore and so people just stopped organising them and did other things or might have organised a small rally here and there of a couple of hundred on a weekday outside Parliament or something but like they just I don't know, they lost the sense of the power that mass rallies can have. Um, now, I'm not saying it's just mass rallies by themselves. It's all the work associated with them and other activities as well. But you do also do need mass rallies, and I think that's what School Strike for Climate really retaught everybody mm. is the power of a mass rally um, when they organised their first one. And I think in the union movement... Um, Possibly, you know, in the Work Choices campaign, which I was involved in as well, I mean, that was on behalf of Socialist Alliance, we, those mass rallies were not inevitable during Work Choices. We had some more left and more militant leaderships and some of the unions, including in Victoria at that time. But some of those rallies uh, around the country... Um, might not have happened if it wasn't for some of the Victorian unions. And basically, a lot of those rallies, we were working with other militants in the in the union movement and we initiated motions in different unions, calling for rallies, etc. And then basically, Trades Hall Council in Victoria and, and Trades Hall in Geelong were prepared, moved motions calling for... Um, National Days of Action, and then gradually with motions from different unions around the country, then um, other state trades and labour councils called rallies as well, and mm. then always New South Wales was the last. But there was big pressure, and Social Science was part of that for in initiating those rallies. And one of those rallies, we, um, I can't remember which one it was, we took up massive petitions which were sent to various union leaderships and the ACT etc and we know there were huge numbers of signatures on those petitions And but we actually managed to force action and that was when Greg Combe who was ACTU secretary at the time said um, that the ACTU would not be calling mass rallies because blue collar workers on the streets was a bad look for the movement um, this is against work choices. So, um, you know, there's always different ways in which you can um, call action and so forth, but the more left leaderships in Victoria were really critical in that. And is that a conscious strategy now with Climate Justice Alliance? Is that a, um, a kind of a facet of what you're doing, is to try and, in a sense, recreate that kind of domino effect uh, first getting individual unions to uh, sign on to these climate rallies, then if possible some trades halls and, and really try and push climate action into the trade union movement when it's kind of not really been particularly vocal at, at this time. Well, I think that's certainly one of the purposes of this National Day of Action um, is to try and link the unions in with the climate movement. And there was one action, but it also it was, it was a People's Climate March. I can't remember when that was, quite a few years ago. Um, and David Spratt, the author of Climate Code Red, was instrumental in forcing the NGOs to work together. 
um, and also bringing um, various unions on board for that as well. But that was really a one-off. And I know there are unions that um, supported the school strike for climate, um, but the unions have not really been involved in this in a big way, and mm. they really need to be because otherwise what's going to happen is industries or, or, you know, we'll have what happened with Hazelwood, um, where Hazelwood power station, you know, owners just suddenly announced it was going to close, no alternative jobs, that's it, mm. um, you know, out the door. And we ju- le- there has to be a plan for alternative jobs for those workers. And the bosses of these power stations are not going to be committed to alternative jobs. And, so, and the bosses of the coal mines. And that's, that's I guess, another factor is <laughs> if you wait till it's shutting down, that's when you've got the least bargaining power. And uh, that's, that doesn't seem to be much consciousness of that in the union movement. The time to call for a transition is now, not not when the stuff's getting shut down. That's right. And I also think that goes hand in hand with another issue, which is that the government has to be prepared to uh, offer alternative jobs. It's not good enough to just say, oh, there'll be thousands of jobs in renewables. Well, there might be, but if you don't have the particular skills for those jobs in renewables, you will not be getting those jobs if you're a miner or in a particular coal-fired power station. So it means that you have to... um, It means we also need a publicly owned energy industry because that's the only way that you can actually guarantee alternative jobs. Otherwise, you know, a boss of a renewables company is under no obligation of to employ a worker that comes from uh, another boss of uh, a coal-fired power station that's closing down. Hmm. So, like, those sort of things have to go hand in hand. And the climate movement also has to be serious about this, um, about uh, arguing for guaranteed alternative jobs, because otherwise then you put workers in communities where there's high unemployment, and this is what really happened in central Queensland, um, where there's high unemployment. You Mm. put workers and communities in a position where they might even know that climate change is a big issue that's going to destroy the planet, especially after the bushfires, but that people will be, if there's no alternative jobs, then people you know, make all sorts of choices because you also have to pay the rent and put food on the table. So you don't want to force workers in a situation where they're trying to choose jobs against climate change and climate action. You need, we have to guarantee this so that we can win people to the call for serious action on climate change, which means we actually do need to shut down the fossil fuel industry, you know, obviously phasing it out. um, But, you know, it needs to be shut down if we're going to save the planet. Hmm. I I think we have to kind of um, wrap it up um, kind of now. Um, Do you have any kind of final comments you'd like to make, Sue? I think that's pretty... I think that's pretty much everything, that if we're serious about shutting down the fossil fuel industry or phasing it out totally, is a milder way of saying it, 
that is because the fossil fuel runs through every facet of the capitalist system. And so if we're going to be serious about doing that, we can only do that with workers in those industries on board. When Otherwise, we're not going to have the power, the people power to um, force the closure of those industries. And so we need to have, we need to be really conscious that we have to win um, not just educated middle class, but working class people on board, including in those fossil fuel industries, to call for, for, you know, phasing out those industries altogether, which then means guaranteed alternative jobs, not just flippant comments about there are alternative jobs and renewables. We need guaranteed alternative jobs. And then if we can do that, we'll win those communities on side to the climate movement. Hmm. And how can people get involved and help support the uh, Feb 22 rally? Well, we haven't got a lot of time left to promote it, but um, certainly people should look up the rally on Facebook, if you're on Facebook. Uh, It's called um, Climate Crisis National Day of Action Melbourne. Um, So share that around to everybody. But also, if you can help, we want people to help with postering and leafleting uh, and, you know, getting the word around, getting it... um, announced on community radio in your local area. There will also be a rally in Geelong as well as in Melbourne on the 22nd and and many places all over the country. But really we need lots of help with leafleting. We'll be leafleting the um, city train stations next week but also if you can't get to a city train station would like some leaflets to hand out at your local station or somewhere in your local community or put up posters um, please contact us. Um, and in fact, Jacob, who's doing the show, um, is one of the organisers of the postering and leafleting. So um, maybe Jacob can give out your contact details for that as well. Yeah, so if there's anyone on the show that is interested in leafleting and postering for the rally, um, please um, text or call me at 0458958385. And maybe one last question, last issue. If you're part of an organisation that would like to endorse the rally, um, please contact us as well. So some of the endorsements we've got are from Friends of the Earth, Extinction Rebellion, the, edu- the Teachers Unions, the Australian Education Union and Independent Education Union, the um, United Workers Union, the Maritime Union, National Tertiary Education Union, and a whole bunch of different organisations have endorsed. Um, so if you, your organisation could endorse, that would also be great as well. It's good for people to see the range of organisations that are supporting supporting this event. Totally. All right. Well, um, thanks heaps for uh, talking to us this morning and uh, for all your work in yeah, trying to coordinate this and make it happen. Thanks. Bye. Cheers, Sue. Alrighty. Uh, yes, Sue Bolton there, uh, Moreland councillor and Socialist Alliance member and part of the uh, Climate Justice Alliance that is building a national climate crisis day of action all around the country, including here in Melbourne and in Geelong. Alright, we're going to play you some announcements and then bring you some more news. 
3CR are selling kofia Palestinian scarves in support of the last factory that produces them in Hebron, Palestine. All profits will be donated to the reconstruction efforts in Gaza and support Palestinian industry. These are traditional scarves available in red and black or you can choose from a modern design. Go to 3cr.org.au slash shop to buy online or drop into the station during business hours. Always bringing you the latest union news. They're coming after us at the moment. They want to get rid of penalty rates, the big push from businesses. They want to get rid of all the things that you and I have fought for. So there's tens of thousands of jobs gone, contracted out to sham contracting arrangements. On 8.55am and on the web, 3cr.org.au. I just think that it's ironic that the state of Victoria want to treaty with Aboriginal people but have no issue in destroying our sacred sites. War is devastating on the environment. In peacetime, the military is a huge user of fossil fuels, a huge driver of nuclear energy and ultimately the architect of nuclear weapons. Subscribe to 3CR, fighting for social justice and environmental change. And to all the people that are so afraid of the solutions to climate change that they choose to live in denial instead, the current solutions to the climate emergency are much easier to cope with than the outcomes that will come if we don't. Feed Radical Radio, go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 94198377. Follow, follow the sun. Yes, and as we have said earlier, uh, we're doing a big subscriber drive here at 3CR at the moment. Please head along to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe and you can renew your existing subscription or you can take one out and support Radical Radio because that's how we work here. Grassroots support to keep this thing happening. Alright, um, so you're listening to Green Left Radio, it's um, 7.43am, and I'd like to go into a few international stories, um, basically um, what's happening in US politics at the moment. Um, this is a recent article um, from Green Left, um, basically focusing on this whole issue around the hypocrisy of um, the democratic and liberal establishment. Um, you know, basically... Um, there's a bit of a history of election tampering. Um, for exa- um, looking at the presidential contest between Republican George W. Bush and the Democratic Party's Al Gore in 2000, confusing layouts on ballots in Florida where Josh Bush's younger um, brother Jeb was governor resulted in invalidated votes, votes for alternative candidates that were meant for Gore and ultimately handed Florida and the presidency to 
um, to Bush. Um, according to a report in Common Dreams, when Bush then ran against the Democratic Party, um, John Kerry in 2004, officials purged tens of thousands of eligible voters from the rolls, neglected to process registration cards ge- generated by Democratic voter drives, shortchanged Democratic precedents when they allocated voting machines and illegally derailed a recount that could have given Kerry the presidency. And, of course, um, in 2016, the Democratic um, Party presidential nominee Hillary Clinton's campaign took control of the Democratic National Committee, um, DNC, and its resources a year before its nominee was decided. The DNC was supposed to remain neutral between nominees until one had been selected to run against Republican candidate Donald Trump. However, it effectively handed superdelegate votes to Clinton, such that even in states where her rival Bernie Sanders overwhelmingly won the popular vote, the state went to Clinton. And, of course, you know, it's in all these cases, a level of plausible deniability was maintained, or at least the offenders worked within the bounds of bad rules, as um, as written here in Green Left. Um, and I think one of the things that um, I think the point of mentioning all this is within the sort of democratic and liberal kind of establishment, they go on about the 2016 election results as being, you know, the result of tampering by Russia um, or foreign powers, etc. Um, yet within the Democrats themselves, they're tampering kind of, there's, there's clearly evidence of kind of wrongdoing here or within the actual presidential electoral system. And of course, these are the same people uh, the same people that go on about how undemocratic the, um, the electoral processes in Venezuela and Bolivia are, um, yet they can't even seem to have a clear, transparent democratic system in terms of even selecting candidates or uh, um, allowing someone to be a, a elected president. Mm. Well, and it's it's not an accident, is it? It's quite a deliberate uh, quite a deliberate thing to get rid of undesirable candidates and make sure the most uh, Corporate-friendly people capture power. Yes, plenty of homegrown tampering happening without needing the Russians to do it. Mm. And I think now going into sort of today, um, it's quite clear with Bernie Sanders has been kind of leading kind of um, a lot of the polls in terms of the, the current caucuses, and the response of the Democratic establishment is they almost don't accept the results and are almost <laughs> pulling, uh, and are almost pulling all pants. stops. Um, and in fact, during the first caucus in OA, um, um Pete Buttigieg declared himself the winner um, when before even 0% of the, um, before the vote was even fully counted. And um, then there was... Um, then there's also the um, other issue of the fact that... Um, Ah, that the fact that these, um, that, um, that candidates like Sanders are basically threatening, um, the kind of democratic kind of establishment, whereas Pete Buttigieg and the like, those likes are basically, um, you know, relying on the sport of capitalist interest. And I think one of the more concerning trends is the fact that there's, there's been this candidate that's popped up. I think his name is Bloomberg. Um, I forgot his hmm. first name. Mike Bloomberg. Mike Bloomberg. Multi-billionaire. One of the, I think he's one of the top ten richest people in the USA or something. Yeah, and so he's basically appeared out of nowhere. He had done no campaigning prior to the Democratic primaries, unlike, say, Sanders or even Joe Biden, to give some credit, Elizabeth Warren. Did no prior campaign whatsoever, and somehow he appears out of nowhere 
and manages to get and is getting significant sort of votes um, within the Democratic primaries. I mean, I don't think it's likely that Who's he's going to win Mike Bloomberg. Uh, he hasn't run yet. Yeah, but he's already somehow seen to be getting... He's already prepping the way to potentially mm. get votes in the, in the, in the caucuses mm. when he does nominate himself and run. Because mm. he's already, like, for example, he's already bought himself uh, large ad space in the, during the Super Bowl, etc. I think it's, yeah, it's definitely quite concerning. And in fact, um, mm. depending on how the caucuses go when um, some of the other nominees start pulling out, um, he might come a bit of a threat to um, Bernie Sanders. Mm. And, yeah, he's like... I saw one one article and it was basically saying Mike Bloomberg is the Democrat Party's version of Donald Trump. It's just a rich guy buying the whole process. Mm. Mm. And, in fact, I... um, there's this whole weird obsession about um, within the Democratic establishment about um, defeating Trump, um, about how, you know, we have to pull all stops to beat Trump. And apparently, according to the Democratic establishment, Bloomberg is almost one of their best chances. And it's like, he's just another billionaire. He's probably a bit nicer than Trump. He's probably less overtly racist, but he's actually still racist. Mm. <laughs> um, in fact, he's um, supported um, the incarceration of African-Americans um, within the United States. And, you know, essentially, I-, I can't really tell the difference between him politically and Trump. Trump just seems to be much cruder mm. um, than Bloomberg. He's a polished Trump. Yeah. And then there was also this um, particularly funny um, moment um, it was during the State of Union address where um, Nancy Pelosi, um, who was sort of like considered, um, you know, one of the one of the Democratic um, chairs, um, or she plays a prominent role within the Democrat Party. Um, anyway, there was this whole funny thing about how all the Liberals got excited when um, after um, after. The, um, Donald Trump delivered his State of Union address and Nancy Pelosi ripped up um, the speech and it was mm. like some act of defiance, of resistance. Um, super radical. It was so super radical, but at the same time, Nancy Pelosi um, voted for the same um, border protection policies as Donald Trump, um, pretty much has voted w- um, with all the kind of corporate kind of legislation. And then also the funny thing is Donald Trump managed to respond to it by editing that video, that clip, and going on about all the terrible, uh, about the, all the nice stories that Nancy Pelosi ripped up. And, yeah, it just shows that actually these sort of liberals cannot are not actually posing any kind of resistance to Donald Trump. And, in fact, they do it in quite often, you know, clumsy, laughable yeah. or clumsy ways. Hopefully. Now, that whole thing rolls on. I reckon Sanders is going to keep uh, keep winning primaries, and that's mm. a very good thing. Mm. All right, and the next um, article I want to talk about, going from the United States, I'd like to go to a bit... This is from an article in Green Left about Pakistan. And essentially, um, there's been a big, um, massive protest movement developing in um, Pakistan, especially around the... Stru- um, um, within the student movement, and only just last month on January 28th, um, take, eighth, over 29 people were arrested in Islamabad um, while peacefully protesting the arrest and imprisonment of Manzu Pashtun, who is the leader of the Pashtun Talafu's movement, PTM. 
Two more um, protesters were abducted by plainclothes intelligence officers on January the 30th. On February um, um, 2nd, uh, Alamazib um, Mushud, uh, a PTM organiser, was abducted from his home just three months after having been released from jail, where he had been held without charge for eight months. Um, the PTM, for a bit of background, has been calling for the right of return for Waziristan residents uprooted in the wake of the anti-Taliban operations launched by the Pakistani state and for an inquiry in the extrajudicial killings. Um, Pashtin was arrested in, um, in Peshawar in June. And some of these arrestees also include um, um, members of the left, including the Pakistan National Assembly member um, Moshun Dawa, Punjab President of the Awami Workers' Party, uh, Amar Rashid, and President of the Women's Democratic Front, Ismat um, Shahjalun. Um, the arrestees were initially charged with sedation, rioting, unlawful assembly and public mischief, and 23 arrestees were denied bail and family and friends who tried to visit them were denied access. Um, the prosecution signalled its intention to drop the sedation charges in favour of charging the protesters under the Draconian Anti-Terrorism Act. When the case was heard by the Chief Justice of the Islamabad High Court on February 3rd, um, the Chief Justice castigated the um, prosecution for invoking the colonial laws against the protesters. And, of course, the prote- um, prosecution will now review its case and will appear before the court on February 11th, so we should hopefully get a bit of an update on this. And I guess a lot of the... There was a lot of... Um, there's an, another nine people associated with this movement who have also been falsely charged during um, similar protests. And... Many of those uh, arrested and charged are minority Pashtun day labourers who attended the January 28th protest from the poorest parts of the cities. Others arrested included students, academics and community activists. And according to witness reports at 4am on January the 30th, um, men in plain clothes broke into Mushin's Abdali's home and abducted him without charge. They harassed and abused his family and took away laptops and phones. And Abdali is a student activist who organised a recent student solidarity march and a climate march in Pakistan. And his last public appearance was a demonstration organised by the Women's Democratic Front calling for the release of Awami Workers' Party activists and Pashtin. He was allowed to return home several days later. Um, and so, yeah, these are sort of, I think a lot of these events have been kind of following a disturbing trend in Pakistan. Increasingly, anyone who has brought attention to the unconstitutional involvement of the army or in the country's politics and the excessive use of protests by the security forces has been subjected to extreme levels of surveillance, harassment, arrest, and at least, um, at times enforced disappearances. Um, there is a statement going around, um, um, bit, um, you can access it by bit.ly forward slash release dash or dash protesters dot ash pk or email pakistani solidarity 2020 at gmail.com or tweet in support free the 23 um, protesters. So yeah, that's just a bit of a summary, I guess, of what's happening in Pakistan at the moment in, with the recent arrest of our activists. It's hmm. pretty disturbing. All right, uh, I might just play a quick announcement, and then well, we um, spend we can spend a bit of time. Let's see what time it is. We could play. Yeah, why don't we play a bit of a song for the next five minutes? Yeah, right. Eh? And then we go straight to the actors' calendar. All right. Well, I'll, I'll play a quick announcement first, and I'll find a song. Well, brothers and sisters, what a show of strength we've got here today. Local issues. 
So I'm here at the school, kids strike for climate action. Live coverage. Join the, the spirit of this gathering here today at IMARC. Your voices. So give us a bit of a lowdown about what's happening. There's about 200, 200 people here at the moment. Community struggles. We're now in front of the uh, Tundaminuaya Mōbohina Monument. I'd like to thank Community Radio 3CR, who for the last decade has been broadcasting here. Feed Radical Radio, your membership is vital. A few hundred people about to pass us right now. Lots of young people standing up for their future. Subscribe today. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 9419 8377.
and that was Queens by Les Amazones de Afrique, which I um, think means the Amazonians of Africa. My French is not good enough hmm. to translate that properly. Cool song though. Alright, you're listening to Green Left um, Radio and um, today it's now time for the activist calendar um, to tell you about what's coming up in terms of activist events, public forums, rallies and other protests and, and how you can get involved. Um, from Friday um, today, from the Saturday the 15th, there is the National Climate Emergency Summit at the Melbourne Town Hall. Um, not sh- sure why we're advertising this because it's actually sold out now, but there are kind of like online tickets um, that you can kind of get, um, which means you'll be able to stream into some of the sessions. Um, and I'm not sure if they cost any money or not. But, yeah, search the National Client Emergency Summit to find out a bit more info about that. Um, and then ra- there'll be a rally commemorate TJ Hickey at 6pm at the old GPO steps at the Burke Street Mall. And they'll be happening today, this Friday. And then on Tuesday, um, February the 18th, there'll be a rally, Protect the Unburnt. An estimated 1.25 billion animals have died in the bushfire crisis thus far. This is why logging in our unburnt forests must end until a proper assessment of the environmental effects of the fire is completed and the action plans for threatened species are reanalyzed. And they'll be happening at 12 noon at the Parliament um, at Spring Street in the city. Um, on Wednesday, February the 19th, there'll be a film screening, Journey Beyond Fear. Um, it'll be a fundraiser for the Asylum Seeker Resources Centre at 7pm at the Community Centre, 160 High Street in um, Ashburton. Enter the back um, door, Highgate Grove, and you can book, um, you can book um, on the website or ring 98857952. And then from Thursday, February the 20th to Friday the 6th of March, um, there'll be a Transitions Film Festival, um, in, in it show, it's a film, um, it's a, wait, it's a film festival that showcases groundbreaking documentaries about social and technological innovations, revolutionary ideas and trailblazing change makers that are leading the way to a better world. And that's all at the Cinema Nova. So just go on the Cinema Nova website, um, and look at, uh, for the films that they're showing. Um, there'll be a rally to free Julian Assange, no US extradition, um, for at 6.30pm at the State Library, 328 Swanson Street in the city. And then on Saturday, February the 22nd, there'll be the Climate Crisis National Day of Action at 2pm at the State Library. Um, and there'll be a film screening, When the Rivers Run Drive, Australian-made um, exploration of the rules governing um, the Moray-Darling Basin and how they are destroying the environment, and they'll be happening at the Cinema Nova. There'll be uh, a rally, a no to family separation, stop the deportations. Under the Harsh Migration Act, long-time residents are being deported. If they have a criminal conviction, lives are being destroyed and families ripped apart at 6.30pm at the State Library. Um, on Monday, 24th of February, there'll be a public meeting, education under occupation. Um, there'll be um, The speaker will be the brother, Peter Bray, Vice-Chancellor at Bethlehem University, Palestine, and they'll be happening at 6.30pm at the Wesley um, Church, 148 Longsdale Street in the city. Um, there'll be a film screening, Disaster Capitalism, um, documentary by Anthony Lewinstein, um, revealing the dark underbelly of the global aid and investment industry. They'll be happening at 7pm with meal from 6.30pm um, um, at the Resistance Centre, Level 5, 407 Swanson Street, and it's presented by Green Left. 
and there'll be a protest um, um, Saturday, September the 29th um, from Manus to the Marcha. Let them out, let them stay. Refugees and asylum seekers brought from Manus for medical treatment have been locked up at the Marcha Hotel in Preston, in some cases for almost a year. Others are behind the fences at the Broadmeadows Detention Centre at 2pm at the Marcha Hotel 215 Bell Street in Yeah, Preston. that's disgusting. And I've seen stories of the mattresses in there being covered in bed bugs. And there was a story from uh, ABC News from yesterday, and there's a heavy metal musician, a Kurdish guy from Iran, Kazem Kazimi, who's uh, one of the people locked up in there. And, uh, yeah, I'm keen to try and track down some of his music to play on the show. Hmm. And um, on Tuesday, the March the 3rd, um, there'll be a public meeting, Stories of Courage and Sacrifice from Christmas Island. After spending five years working on Christmas Island as a torture and trauma counsellor, Christine Cummins finds herself in the privileged position as a holder of stories. Um, so they'll be happening at 7pm at the New International Bookshop, um, Shrades Hall. Um, and then there'll be, on Thursday, the March the 5th, there'll be a public meeting with Yanis Varoufakis, Dept. Um, disobedience and Democracy Today at 7.30pm at the Afton Theatre, 188 Collins Street in the city. Um, and then on... Oh, yeah, also on that Thursday, um, March um, the 5th, um, there is um, the International Women's Day Rally will be happening at 5.30pm at the State Library. And then there'll be... Um, yeah, film screening, um, pink washing exposed. Countries like Israel promote themselves as gay friendly to divert attention from terrible human rights violations. In this case, diverting attention from the brutal colonisation of Palestine. So they'll be happening at 33 Saxon Street in Brunswick. Then on Tuesday, March 10th, there'll be the film screen, The Triangle Wars, the story of the battle waged between local government, big business and the community over the development of a tiny silver of crown land on the foreshore of um, St Kilda at 7pm at Kino. And on Friday, the March the 13th, there'll be uh, the Uni Students for Climate Justice um, Uni Student Strike at 1pm um, at the State Library, Friday the 13th of March. March against Murdoch. <laughs> and... Um, and there'll be a March Against Murder, Climate Truth Now at 5pm at the Treasury Gardens, organised by Extinction Rebellion. All right. All right. Oh, I thought they were one and the same. Oh, they're different. They're two different protests. That you is a fairly unfortunate clash, to put it lightly. Well, they're not clashing in terms of time. You can go okay. to both. They're on the same day. Yeah. So they're on the same day, but, but you can go to both. Time. So if you're if you're a student, um, you can probably um, you should probably go prioritise the uni student for climate justice action because it's during the day on a Friday. Um, for workers, um who can't make it, you can probably go to the um, the Extinction Rebellion action. Now, if I could just be a bit self-interested here, uh, I'm in a uh, angry left-wing band called When Our Turn Comes, and we have got a five-track EP that we're launching at Cafe Gummo on Saturday evening, March 7. So get along to that 711 High Street, Thornbury. It's going to be pretty freaking excellent. All right, uh, what's going on? Uh, should I have we got a little story, or should I just play an announcement and see if I can raise? Oh well, what about Tom what about we're, we're supposed to do the FreeCR subscription drive? So just yeah. another reminder. Can I? Um, FreeCR is doing a subscription drive um, at the moment um, for anyone who enjoys our program or listens to FreeCR regularly. Um, we highly um, want to make the case to you that you should be a subscriber to the program, you can subscribe online by going to freecr.org.au forward slash subscribe. Um, it costs 
onwards around $35 is the lowest for concession slash pension rates, $75 wage, and $150 solidarity slash band slash organisation. Um, yeah, it's only, um, you can call in to subscribe now as well at 94198377. Um, and yeah, I'd like to make the case if you enjoy any of the programs on FreeCR, enjoy the radical news that we're bringing to the radio. We need um, subscribers to keep this station going. Um, it's, I think it's a good source of income. And, yeah, we're currently going to subscriber drive. And um, we're, we need to, we, we're sort of in a position that we want to, well, as individuals, we need to, we want to be able to sign up to four other subscribers to our show. So, yeah. Hmm. And, I mean, it's Activist Radio, so you get live crosses, you get... 24 hours of broadcasting on the International Day of People with a Disability, uh, hearing from people with disabilities about uh, accessibility and all of the related issues there, all of those um, struggles and, and campaigns and multifaceted fights that are, that are happening going on. Uh, live crosses to the climate strike, to the Jaburung um, protest to save the sacred trees up there. Uh, live broadcast from the blockade of the IMARC summit. So, yeah, union, union coverage, live union coverage, live prison broadcast. So it's, it's activist radio and you've got to support it. So please do renew your subscription or if you're not already a subscriber, get onto it. 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe. All right, I'm going to just play another quick announcement, and then we're going to get Tom Tanuki on the phone for some fresh coverage of uh, Hosier Lane being freshly covered with paint. Three CR, always bringing you the latest union news. They're coming after us at the moment. They want to get rid of penalty rates. The big push from businesses. They want to get rid of all the things that you and I have fought for. So there's tens of thousands of jobs gone, contracted out, to sham contracting arrangements. On 8.55am and on the web, 3cr.org.au. You are listening to Green Left Radio on the Friday Morning Breakfast Show, broadcast live on 3CR Radio, 855am digital and streaming live on 3cr.org.au. Green Left Radio is brought to you by the Green Left Weekly newspaper, providing a weekly source of alternative information which aims to inspire action to put people and the environment before profit. Subscribe to Green Left Weekly by visiting the website at greenleft.org.au. Or call 1-800-634-206. For new subscribers, it's only $10 for the first seven issues. Welcome back. You are on Green Left Radio. And on the phone line this morning, we have got uh, activists yelling at racist dogs, person, um, just general staunch, awesome human, Tom Tanuki. Welcome. Oh, hang on, hang on, whoa, whoa. Sorry, I forgot to press the button. You there? I'm here. Hey. Now, Tom... Hey. <laughs> there's been some... Uh, I've, I, I spied a video of you yesterday, and you were looking pretty upset about events that have uh, happened in Hosier Lane recently. Can you tell us a bit? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I was having a gentrified meltdown in Hosier Lane. <laughs> 
that was that was my that was my video. That was me taking the piss <laughs> out of the um, hysterical reaction from many um, uh, Melbourne laneway culture lovers to um, to the fact that a few uh, lads went along and jet paint bombed the the entirety of Hosea Lane. Um, and, you know, there, there was a huge reaction against that, but I, I think it's rooted in people not really understanding RAF culture. Not that I'm a RAF veteran, I'm not. I've just got a long history around, I guess, hip-hop, a lot of mates in hip-hop culture. I knew a lot of RAF artists over time. Um, and it immediately struck me as something that was hilarious what they went and did. I immediately got why they did it. I immediately noticed that, like, nowadays, like, Hosea Lane is a really big popular tourist attraction, and most people don't really get those dynamics in craft culture. And so they were all mourning, mourning the loss of this beautiful artwork, <laughs> which, you know, I understand in principle, but I just don't think it, it reflects an understanding of craft culture, so I, I took the piss out of it. Yeah. I mean... It's a tourist attraction. Shouldn't that actually add to the tourist attraction if a dynamic, organic, real refreshing of the space happens? Like, well, you know, the, the art's been commodified over the years, and 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 street art and its marketability as a tourist attraction has been a perfect vehicle for that commodification. You know that. There was a time, you know, my memory of, again, being around a lot of graph artists and what have you was back in the early 2000s. And even back then, there was a developing season between um, what was seen as, I guess, authentic graph culture, which involved a degree of illegality. Mm. You know, people would go and rack their paints to go and bomb trains it was all illegal, and there was seen as a component of that that you kind of had to go through, or that was a prerequisite part of graph culture versus uh, the, the the growing you know, street art culture, which you know I'm not really disparaging as such. And a lot of those people that grew up in authentic graph culture eventually, you know, needed to you know make some money and what have you. And street art for those 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 kings of the graph scene has been vital for them, but. Mm. Nevertheless, there's that important distinction. People used to say to me that they felt like graph was the last, um, I guess, uncommercialised or unshackled uh, element of hip-hop culture. And so that's kind of the background, you know. I mean, back in the day, the most hilarious thing to me out of all this is that you've now got Victoria Police um, airing footage on their page of the people that did the paint bombing in an effort to try and catch them. Whereas when I, you know, my recollection when I grew up is that they used to have this group called the District Support Group who were a specific team of VicPol whose job it was was to, you know, catch, beat up graph artists, raid their homes, make their lives hell. That, that was police's biggest association with this. And now... Thanks to the commodification of it, you've got people going in there and, and uh, you know, you've got police actually trying to catch people who are doing, I suppose, an authentic or anti-authority or, you know, anti-establishment bit of graph culture in what's supposed to be uh, a heart of graph culture in Melbourne. Yeah, we're an upside-down world, mate. But what's the, 
Okay, so the stuff that they were painting over in Hosier Lane, had that been commissioned by the people who own the buildings or was that also, quote-unquote, illegal? In which case, how come the cops are chasing people with fire extinguishers full of paint but they're not chasing the people who did the stuff that they're painting over? That, That doesn't really add up to me. Well, I'm not an expert on what's going on in Hosier Lane nowadays, but I do believe there's a mixture of the fact that there's commissions, yes, and also, you know, I know there to be nowadays, they have security stationed outside Hosier Lane at night time to stop people from going in to put pieces up in Hosier Lane, which is, you know, it's the a complete opposite of anything spontaneous enough to deserve an that culture, you know. It's got, you know, it's lost that altogether. And so that was forcing those people, they had no other option, that if they were going to do something, they had to do it at high speed because they knew that it would cause, I'm, I'm, I'm convinced that they didn't realise it would cause the level of reaction that it caused, you know, this strange sort of you know, hand-wringing over the loss of culture. But, you know, they, they knew they'd, they knew that they would, would try and protect the lane, but they had to go in at daytime, and they had to go and do it really, really quickly. So that's the, the way that they did that. But, yeah, all I know is that they've got security trying to protect people from going in to do the very act that the lane would appear to be celebrating, which shows you all you need to know about the authenticity of anything going on in that lane. Look, going up and down the lane, there's, there's a ton of incredibly talented people but it's transient art anyway it's going in two days it's getting replaced by something else hmm. um and that new thing that it might be replaced by well it could just be cocks on a wall <laughs> you, you can't you, you, we can't sit there we can't or it could be someone's piece you know it could be someone tagging over something you know that's a thing that the world of grass sorts out amongst itself where you know us as consumers, you know, or as people wandering through there or trying to collect a series of laneway culture postcards about Melbourne, not really our place to say what goes on. If we get to enjoy it, then we should enjoy all aspects of it and try and understand it, not whinge about it as something that we're supposed to own as a tourist attraction. We don't, yeah, and, and really. micromanage. Look, yep. Enjoy the mongrel and watch it unfold and don't pretend to know. To be know enough about it to to want to micromanage it, like hundred percent. Actually, really, it's the most exciting thing that's happened to Hosier Lane in years. <laughs> particularly, not just because of what happened there, but particularly because it's caused this big hand wringing reaction from all the laneway culture lovers and anyone with a commercial stake, like Culture King, the big urbanware chain in there, and anyone with a big commercial stake in, in, in protecting that lane, and, you know, uh, you know, and in the police as well. So it's caused all that reaction, and I know what that will do with grass culture. So that's like a red rag to a bull. They're going back there. <laughs> and that's what excites me. I, this is not... They should not have reacted the way they did because that, I think that lane's in for it now, which I'm really excited for. <laughs> yeah. Um, actually, you know, funny enough, before this interview, I didn't even really get the issue. Um, um, but you, you've enlightened me a lot more, Tom. Um, I guess the kind of question is, um, I want to hear a bit of your comment. There's actually a bit of a funny debate 
amongst left-wing people I know on my Facebook um, feed, um, there are mm-hmm. some people that are sort of were um, sort of against the defacing, sort of on the basis that they thought that the, the defacing itself was apolitical to a level that it wasn't that it's not supportable. But then some are countering that by saying, well, in the end. Um, you know, the establishment's kind of reaction kind of means that we kind of have to sort of take a side, we have to side with the people doing the defacing because I think in the Herald Sun, I think the Herald Sun has been calling for these people to be arrested or jailed or whatever for the, the uh, attack against humanity that they've done. And I kind of want to just hear your comments on some of that, that debate. <laughs> yeah, I, f- I find it funny because I think what, you know, I just, when I see in all these reactions from the Herald Sun, I mean, you know, 15, 20 years ago, they were calling for all of these people uh, to be arrested. There really were no legal murals. Or no, you know, there, there wasn't really a space for that. There might have been private organisations or what have you that would pay big amounts of money. Graph artists might have had, you know, would have publishing on campuses or what have you and sell those off to people. But there wasn't a, a public area that was reserved to sign for legal murals. And, and, you know, Harold Sun, Dick Pole, all of them were just paying for all of their blood. That, that, that was the stance now. So I see in anyone's reaction who's going, you know, the same people that were doing that kind of thing before and now they're going, you know, arrest the people who are ruining this legal street. I, I, mm. I don't, you know, I don't trust it. I see that it's, it's roots are only modification. So that's why I would stand on the side of all these people. I'm sure for the people whose lovely murals were... You know, whose lovely legal pieces commissioned or not were up in that lane, that it might have been frustrating to see someone pay for my for all of them. But not too much because that's grass culture and, and that's public areas and they would understand that a high turnover area totally. on Posey Lane runs the risk of that happening. It's not and under a bridge exactly. out in Sunbury. It's like in the prime spot. And the more prime the spot, the less, you know, the less length of time it's probably going to be there, unless you are the absolute king of the graffiti culture and people know not to go over your art. Well, yeah, you've identified another thing that, yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's a degree of old, um, authentic grass culture rules where, you know, depending on reputation and the status. That would increase the likelihood of someone not going over you. Um, or, you know, they might do it anyway, and then there'd be a conflict there. So these are all parts of graph culture. These are all important distinctions to make. But the whole thing is that the quantification throws all those rules out. Instead of not going over someone being a matter of respect, no, it becomes a matter of money and tourism. Mm. Instead of, you know, how long, you know, who gets to go in there being a matter of, like, how vibrant, or, you know, how, how, um, how uh, real the culture yeah, is. Yeah. It becomes a matter of security guards standing outside there to stop people from doing the very thing that leads to culture like that in the first place. <laughs> so that commodification has thrown all the rules out. Therefore, I stand, I would stand with anyone who's either taking the mick out of it or actively undermining it by going there with the jet plane thing. I just hope, hope it keeps happening and I hope they all manage to get out of the hands of the cops because any old graph friends of mine will tell you um, the cops have decades and decades of history of um, 
uh, being very violent and destructive towards graph artists. They've never been their friend, you know, so it's mm. pretty hypocritical, the cops out there seeking people to deface graph there. Mm. So that they can deface their faces. Um, yeah. What's the go with, the, the, just for the uninitiated, um, are you able to comment a bit on the fire extinguisher thing? Like, if this was not Hosier Lane, it was just the side of a building out in the boondocks, it's already got some some pieces on there, maybe they've been there for a while, maybe it's looking a bit uh, tired. How does the fire extinguisher thing work? It's kind of like... Well, I, I, I mean, it, it's, to me, it's just one variant of, like, you know, high-pressure paint. But we get, you know, it's not, it's not only necessarily done to go over pieces. People might recall... Um, seen very large pieces sprayed with high-pressure hoses, and fire extinguishers are one of them, but, you know, that's one variant. But using that to very quickly spray large messages up on walls, it's one mm. sort of variant or way of doing, I suppose, radical graffiti, really, you know. Um, it doesn't take much time. It lets you cover a lot of surface area. Um, you know, there's also people that will do things like roller painting areas. Um, you can find some old, you can still see on top of old buildings in the city, certain old, um, graph artists whose main contribution was to just, you know, scale huge buildings and then use roller paint to paint very large, you know, just their name on things, mm. but up in very inaccessible parts of the city. So it's just like a, I suppose I see it as a sort of a lower, lower, you know, as a, a more simple um, side of, of of putting up, you know, contributing to grass culture, or, or, or just in this case, perhaps undermining everything that was taking place there hmm. in the first place. It didn't take long; it's very easy to do. Yeah, my understanding is a bit of a reset. Kind of goes over it, and then uh, yep. probably in days and weeks to come, you'd expect to see perhaps some more uh, sophisticated pieces to follow, <laughs> assuming it's not bloody security guards standing watch. Yeah, but now you've got, the, now you've got people have got to rush in. Um, times of the absolute essence, you know, and not just because there's a competition to grab that, that, that free space, but also because the, the cops have now decided that it's the most important thing in Melbourne. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> that it must be
at the end of the day, um, people are just resisting the commodification of grass culture, and mm. I really admire that. Okay, nice. All right, we're going to wrap it up. There's uh, some other people coming in next. Thanks, each, for uh, having a chat with us this morning. Thanks so much for having me. Cheers. Have a good one. All right. Au revoir. Tom Tanuki there. Uh, culture. Culture King reporting on culture vultures and uh, Herald Sun scandals in Hosier Lane. All right, we're getting out of here. Stick around for Beyond Zero coming up next. This brings us to the end of the show. You have been listening to Friday Morning Breakfast with Green Left Radio. Brought to you by the Green Left Weekly Newspaper, which provides a weekly source of alternative information which aims to inspire action to put people and the environment first. If you would like to subscribe to the newspaper and get it delivered to your door, you can do so by visiting the website at greenleft.org.au or call 1800 634 206. For new subscribers, it is only $10 for the first six issues. Repeats of the show and interviews are podcasts on our homepage on the 3CR website. Thank you for listening. You are tuned into 3CR Community Radio, 855 Digital on the AM dial and streaming live on 